Hello there and welcome to another Brossard of Beijing policy podcast, the What Happened to the Deleveraging Edition. I'm Sebastian Lewis, Platt's Head of Content for Greater China, and today I'm joined by Paul Grumwald, Chief Economist at S&P Global. Hi, everyone. So, Paul, this has been a pretty interesting time for commodity markets. Although much of the focus has been on tariffs and sanctions, which have impacted commodities, including soybeans and, of course, steel and aluminium, we've also seen growth slowing in the world's largest commodity importer, China, due to a government deleveraging program. Tell us what's been happening. Well, right. Well, first of all, China's kind of naturally slowing as it becomes richer, but there have been two additional drivers over the last uh, year or so. One has been the deleveraging campaign, where the authorities are trying to rein in some of the excess credit growth, and that's been compounded by um, fears about the trade war, both the direct and indirect effects. So both of those together have been slowing down Chinese growth. And when we actually talk about kind of deleveraging, what do we actually mean? I mean, I don't want to get over technical, but what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, very quickly, we're not talking about taking down the nominal stock of debt, as uh, as happened in the U.S. in 2009 and 10. The Chinese authorities are trying to slow the growth rate of credit. So we're actually looking at the credit-to-GDP ratio, but they've had some success. The corporate credit-to-GDP ratio peaked in the middle of 2016. And then as far as who's supplying that, the bank's sort of credit-to-GDP ratio uh, peaked early last year. So we seem to be, at least in a trend basis, on track for slowing down the rate of credit as measured as a percentage of GDP. And the interesting about this from a commodity point of view is, you know, on the face of it, this should be very bad for markets. But it seems that coupled with another government policies, notably the supply side reforms to get rid of excess capacity in uh, steel and coal, but also kind of a real focus on the environment across a range of metal sectors and actually the, the oil sector as well, has actually supported corporate margins. So we've got really good margins. At the same time, we've got kind of slowing increase in debt. But these strong margins actually put the corporates in quite a good in quite a good place. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, if you look at the producer price inflation in China or sort of the upstream uh, inflation in China, it's been high for the last few years, and that actually helps the firms. That's their output price, and that helps uh, push their margins up, as you noted, and their profits. So for any given amount of investment they need to do, they can finance more of it internally and less of it externally from the market. So that's actually quite supportive of the deleveraging move. Yeah, I mean, it's almost the government has coordinated this, right? Um, maybe it's partly serendipitous, but certainly the supply side reforms that you mentioned, they mesh well with the need to A, deleverage the economy and B, get credit flowing to the more uh, productive borrowers and having the less productive borrowers exit the market. But I think it's also worth noting this is, has had a bit of an impact on not all exclusively private, but companies that are leveraged. So, for example, uh, repos and similar financings, which are relying on credit. Repos where you loan out your metal and get money to finance it. And tiny financing has also been used to control expansion and capacity, um, which, of course, has been pretty good for the industry across the board. And, you know, same with independent refineries. They've actually had problems, I think, actually obtaining oil, you know, credit's tighter. And if they haven't got a good credit profile, you know, this is this is problematic, I think, for the smaller, weaker companies. But overall, I think probably quite good for the overall sector in that if it wipes out a few of these smaller, weaker companies, we'll have a stronger, more consolidated sector. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, again, the supply side reforms are supposed to increase efficiency, and part of that is exiting the uh, less efficient firms from the market. Sometimes they seem to, they appear to be the smaller, more um, or less diversified firms, and sometimes it's big. Some of the big behemoth that needs to restructure. But again, the direction of uh, the supply side reform is going to be supporting, deleveraging, and making sure credit goes to the most uh, effective uh, users. In a market economy that happens through interest rates, and in China, it's going to be kind of a mixed. Strategy. Yeah. And then you mentioned earlier the effects of the trade war. I think there's a lot of anxiety or nervousness about that here in China. And we've talked about the specifics of this and what the impact is in commodities before. But what do you think the impact of these are going to be on the broader economy if we see further imposition of tariffs on Chinese uh, imports into the state? Yeah, well, first of all, the thing we say about the U.S. as well as with China is that these are essentially domestic-led economies. So even with the larger number of uh, tariffs, we think the direct impact on growth is going to be relatively small, say less than 1% of GDP. What we're really watching and what we're potentially worried about is the so-called knock-on effects, right? These are the second-order effects on confidence, on investment, on spending by consumers. And if this drags out and people don't know how to measure progress and they don't know what the end game looks like, and we start to see a pullback of investment intentions and spending uh, by consumers, then we can get these second round effects pushing down growth, and they could potentially be larger than the direct impacts of the tariffs. So how this all plays out and how it's managed and how people think about the future is really what we should be watching in addition to the direct impact of the tariffs. I certainly think it's true to say that, you know, since June or so, uh, we've seen a kind of, you know, less confidence within the economy, should we say. And I suppose, generally speaking, in, you know, slowing growth, less confidence will have a knock on, on commodity demand, of course, prices. But then, of course, more recently, we've been hearing the government has been thinking again. Are we actually seeing it as a result of these trade tariffs and it's deleveraging anxiety? It's actually going to change course? Are we going to see it kind of, you know, open the, open the barrels and kind of big old fiscal stimulus? In the sense of repeating 2008's mega stimulus, no, but uh, you're right. The authorities have singled a bit more fiscal spending, including on infrastructure, which is going to have an impact on commodities. Also, we've seen a slowing of the pace of deleveraging. Those strike us as pretty sensible responses to slower growth and lower confidence. Uh, but again, the deleveraging is a three-year program as announced by the government. So we would see this more of a pause rather than throwing in the towel. We still think there's work to be done in getting the credit-to-GDP ratios down to more sustainable levels. And I think the other thing is, of course, that since June, especially, anxiety on the tariffs, you know, you know collapse really. Well, not a collapse, but certainly a sell-off in the renminbi, which has weakened against, all, admittedly, quite a strong dollar. And this had an impact on commodities like copper, where prices have almost fallen in line with the exchange rate. Well, what's going on there? Yeah, the exchange rate, we think, is probably the result rather than the cause of some of these uh, uh, tensions you mentioned. But I think there's a political economy element here as well. If you look at what's coming out of the U.S. administration, charging China with not only you know subsidizing exports but manipulating the currency, etc., it's probably in China's interest to keep the exchange rate relatively stable against the U.S. dollar. So we've seen this, uh, this tweaking of the People's Bank's uh, remit to um, invoke the these so-called counter-cyclical measures in managing the exchange rate. So if you look over the last couple of months, it's been quite uh, stable, and some of those depreciation pressures seem to have abated for now. Yeah, and I think it's certainly true. As, you know, I mentioned copper prices. They fell quite heavily over the last month. They've kind of stabilized or even actually come up a bit as we've seen the renminbi stabilize and even actually appreciate a little bit over the last week or two. 
Overall, when we go into the second half, what are your expectations overall for growth, given that we're going to see some targeted spending in infrastructure? Yeah, well, first of all, the growth target for this year is 6.5% or higher, or around 6.5%, and we've got about 6, 7, 6, 8 in the first half of the year. But the economy seems to be slowing. The question for us always is for China, how much are they going to allow growth to slow? Every time we see activity slow down a bit, whether it's from deleveraging or macroprudential measures or worries about a, you know, market volatility, the authorities kind of step in and try to stabilize things. So I would say we'd see a modest reduction in growth in the second half of the year. I wouldn't expect it to go much below six and a half uh, at all. The authorities want to make their target. And if that means pushing out the deleveraging uh, work to uh, 2019 and 2020, I think that's probably a, a reasonable expectation for the second half of the year. So if we get slowing growth, but on the, you know, so slowing growth potentially into the second half, but at the same time, targeted infrastructure spending could support certain commodities as we go into that. Yeah, absolutely. And we might see a little bit of pickup in investment activity. Investment's been the part of the economy that's slowing. And as we've noted, uh, Chinese consumption sector has been a pretty solid contributor to growth. So any of the, the delta or the change in growth would probably come from more from the investment side, led and by of course, infrastructure. And of course, inf you know, investment is always generally good for commodities. Right. That's good for your world, Sebastian. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Paul. Great to have you on the podcast. Great to give you those insights. And that's all we have time for this month. Thank you very much for listening to Brussels to Beijing for us here in Asia. We look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs> <laughs>